Well, I gave you a big uh, $25 word on front of your sheet there, and uh, I don't even know exactly how to pronounce it. Uh, at the top right corner, what does that say? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, does anybody know what that means? Oh my my TV shut off. Let's see if this will come up. There it did. All right. Well, I think I've got it here. Let me find my definition. This is what uh, it's defense of God's goodness and omnipotence in the view of existence of evil. So some people just would say, you know, how can God be God and still there be evil in the world? And so that's what this Theo has to do with God. And I guess the Odyssey is the the other part of that definition. But anyway, I usually don't like to use, huh? The defense of God's goodness. Yeah, uh, it's up. Is it up there? The defense of God's goodness and omnipotence, that's his all powerful in view of the existence of evil. So I just thought that was an interesting uh, concept because, you know, we say God is good, and he is, and yet he allows uh, evil and. Anyway, some you know smart people think of things like this, but uh, God, he he does allow evil. In fact, uh, he is the one that initiates the conversation with Satan. You know, have you considered my servant Job? And so we will uh, be looking at that in the days and weeks to come here in chapter one. But today's kind of an overview. But I I, I just kind of like that uh, thought there. That God does allow evil and He does allow suffering, but yet He is good and He is omnipotent. He is all powerful. He is God, and uh, He, uh, you know, Satan is called the God of this world, and He is uh, He He's a liar, but He is allowed uh, these things, um, and He's given uh, Satan. Uh, you know, we we looked at that even with uh, in Jeremiah. You know, he God allowed the Babylonians to come in, and they actually called uh, Nebuchadnezzar his servant because he exercised uh, you know judgment on God's people through the nation of Babylon and through Nebuchadnezzar. So now um, I've got a couple of pictures. Let's see if I can. Uh, I think this is the one I wanted. This is one that Kathy Kunda found for me, and like seven or eight years ago. But gotta get. Uh... But anyway, Job is of course the guy that's all hunkered over, and 
he's grieving and suffering and I think these are like his three counselors and then maybe in the back is the younger man Elihu that speaks at the last but uh, anyway I thought that was a good uh, depiction and just on this theme of theodicy I think this is funny Can you, can you see that? You know, sometimes we think God will make your life peaceful and give you everything you want. And then you got this guy jumping in. The book of Job. I just think that's a funny picture. So, yeah, God is good, and He does bless faithfulness, and yet uh, bad things happen. So, anyway, I like that picture. So, what do you think goes in your first blank here? We can trust God even when... I'm going to write this. That's it. Good job, Belinda. This is what I put in there first blank there. And uh, I gave you a verse there. Job says in Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain my own ways before him. Now, I want you to just think, let's just think a little bit here. I mean, suffering comes in many forms. What do you think of when you think of suffering? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Those are uh, first world problems, aren't they? What's going on in Ukraine? What's going on in the Ukraine? Uh, yeah, I haven't heard a lot about that lately, but people are leaving the country and the war and people dying and cities being destroyed. And that's also leading to world hunger because that's where the biggest Middle East grain exports are from. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, soybeans or something, I think, even in Ukraine. They're the second producer to the United States. Hmm. Huh. I bet they weren't able to get their crops in too, too well this year. You know, we, uh, our our daughter and her husband are in the military, you know, and uh, they're getting ready to move to Fort Hood, Texas. And so our, our granddaughters are going to spend one or two months in school in Fort Riley, and then they have to leave their friends. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit like saying air conditioning without air conditioning suffering but you know our two little granddaughters are kind of going to bed crying or you know they're not going to see their friends maybe ever again and so uh, there's just pockets of suffering on on different levels isn't there and um, we we will be uh, maybe maybe next week we'll look at some reasons for suffering and uh, and, and certainly God allowed this. Uh, any, any other thoughts about that? This thing of, of suffering? What else do you think of? I, I, I talked to uh, uh, mom and dad this week whose daughter uh, overdosed. And she didn't die. She, she was... Uh, put in in an induced coma when she got to the emergency room and now I think she's in a psychiatric ward and they ask her why why do you why do you why do you try to kill yourself 
And uh, her, her response, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of maybe reading my own thoughts into it, but she just felt like I'm not enough. I, I'm not enough at work. I'm not enough uh, for my kids. I'm not enough for my boyfriend. So in her mind, she was suffering, wasn't she? And uh, I talked to a lady yesterday whose son just died of cancer. And he, he was almost exactly my age. and uh, So she's probably 80. And um, I asked her if you know, this is bringing you closer to the Lord. And she, she said she uh, has learned not to doubt God. And I, I thought that was an interesting statement. And uh, and, I, and Angie and I used to be neighbors to a man who was about our age whose wife had brain cancer and he knew she was going to die. And he, he said, it's enough for me to know that I believe God is able to cure her if he wants to. And I, I thought that was pretty profound. They, they were believers. So is God able to deliver us? Can... Uh, does he use suffering? I mean, all these are pretty serious things. I mean, an overdose, a death, and and that lady did go on to die, and and so the man is without his wife now, and so all these are uh, things of suffering, and as it's part of life, isn't it? This uh, this element of suffering. So those are just some things that I, I'm rolling around as I think of these things, and. You know, even this picture. You know, when you get saved, when I got saved, it was it was kind of instant peace. It was a, it was I felt lighter. It's like man, the burden's been lifted. I'm saved, and and yet as you grow, uh, do you remember Paul says? I think it's in Romans nine, the first few verses. He just says that uh, he wants his desire is for all Israel to be saved and he wishes he could be accursed for them it was almost he wishes that he could uh, grow that he would actually go to hell if his brethren could be saved that, that's pretty so as, you, as we grow in the Lord uh, you remember Paul, Paul saying and I think it's I, I've had pastor sign my Bible Philippians three ten. It's uh, in fact let, let's look at three ten. This is one of the things Paul says in uh, Philippians three ten. Yeah, if you got it. So, in a way, Paul was just desiring to know him and to be acquainted and have fellowship with his sufferings. That's, that's pretty wild, isn't it? So that uh, Paul, you know, as we grow in the Lord, uh, hopefully our, our joy gets fuller. I mean, we, we want to be joyful. But yet there's a part of us that we connect with the sufferings of Christ and we... Uh, I mean, Suzanne mentioned Ukraine. I mean, some of those are pretty unjust situations. They're un—they're not uh, righteous, and so there's innocent people suffering, 
And somehow we relate with that. And Christ said it's noteworthy if, if we suffer for righteousness sake. If, if we are found uh, to suffer for well-doing rather than for evil-doing. Because if we do wrong, we, we should be punished. But Christ was punished and he suffered for doing right. And so Paul enters into that suffering. And so I want us to think about uh, all these different levels from our grandkids crying because they're going to leave, you know, their home that they've known for four or five, three or four years or five. And uh, the friends that they've known. And I mean, that's that's kind of part of the uh, army life. And uh, so hopefully, I mean, I told our daughter, maybe this will, you know, increase their faith and help them, you know, to relate to the sufferings of Christ and uh, what they're going through. So, so suffering is what went in our first blank. Uh, somebody read letter A there on their handout. If have you got that, Emmett? Go teach us the saints to praise the Lord and trust Him in desire of circumstances. We shall have a joke that God has reason for His virtue and why it was essential that He does this study not only contains lessons about God's sovereignty and the suffering of the saints, but also in safety, friendship, philosophy, science, prosperity, and want, counseling, truths, and many other things. Now, why do you think it's important that Job not know why he was going through what he did? Why do you think that is? would have been an easier burden to bear if he knew there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Okay. I mean... Uh, it showed his character. It showed his character. Uh, how are we to walk? Faith. We walk by faith. Not. I mean, if he, if he would have known... Okay, this is why I'm going through it. I'm just going to white knuckle it and grin and bear it. Uh, maybe he could have, but he had to go through it by faith, didn't he? Just not knowing why. And so I think that's an important point. And uh, some of the material I've got, they, they say that one of the key verses is, we know, uh, is it, uh, I'm trying to think of the verse. It's the one that says, uh, for we know that all things work together for good. Romans 8.28. 8.28. That's it. It was Romans 8 something. And so in Job's case, all things, he suffered all things. He lost everything. And so all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. So he he uh, suffered the loss of all things, and so he had to do it by faith, didn't he? So that that's why it's important that he not know why he was suffering. And then this this next blank, I wanted you to. You probably have heard of this word. Expositional. 
that Job is a foundational book of the Bible, an exponential I don't know if I'm saying that right. Study of the book of Job will help us see the relationship that exists in the ideas, concept, and theology of the book as it relates to New Testament books and answer some very practical questions about life. And then let's all go to this Luke verse in our Bibles. I printed that for us, but look at Luke 24, Luke 24, 27. Matthew, Mark, Luke. I think this is on the road to Emmaus. Uh, Jesus was walking with these men. And these verses, this word is in our Bibles like five or six times. Uh, somebody read the Luke twenty four twenty seven if they would. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures that things concerning himself. Yeah. So Jesus, as he was talking with these men, he he began. Uh, you know, Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of our Bible, and he began expounding the scriptures to them. And I gave you a definition of this word expound. It means to explain or lay open the meaning, to clear, uh, to clear of obscurity, to interpret, as to expound a text of Scripture, or to expound a law. And so, uh, have you guys ever heard the phrase uh, expository preaching? And it, it almost has the word in it, expose. You're exposing what's in there. And what, what does that mean? What does expository preaching mean? Or expository teaching? <clears throat> you, you, usually it means you're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Uh, so, so there's really two kinds of preaching. Uh, most of us have been through discipleship here, right? And discipleship is kind of the other style of preaching or teaching. It, it's, it's called topical. So you pick a topic like salvation and you go through and you see what the Bible says about salvation. So does everybody see how that's kind of different than expository? Expository is going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So that's what we did with Jeremiah. That's what we're going to do with the book of Job. We're going to, and, and that's really the way Jesus taught. He, he expounded them the scriptures. He started at Moses and he brought them up to uh, Christ being the sacrificial lamb that uh, takes away the sin of the world. And so he, he opened their eyes. He laid these old the Scripture open so they could see it. Is that the right word then? Or is it supposed to be like expository? Is that what that means? Is that, is that the same? Yeah, expositional. So expositional is the same as expository. And so this is more of an expository study where we're teaching through, but uh, expository preaching will usually go chapter by chapter, uh, verse by So, when you think about Brian's sermons, 
his seven realities. He, he, Brian has spent the last eight or ten weeks going through seven realities at HBF. That, that, that would be a topical study, wouldn't it? So he, he's taken this topic of different realities of, you know, this is what you know, real leaders look like. This is what real battles look like. This is what real Christians look like. This is what real churches look like. So he's going through kind of a uh, topical study, but uh, oftentimes he goes through a book, right? I know he went through the book of Judges. He's went through different books of the Bible, and that's more the expository. So anyway, I want you to see that that word is found in Scripture, and that's how Christ taught and that's uh, more our method, but we also do topical studies as well. So, any any questions? Did I, I didn't confuse anybody, did I? That sound okay? Good deal. So I want I want you to learn. I want want us all to grow. Uh, this next little section on your handout, the poetry books of the Bible have also been called the heart of the Bible. These poetry books have sometimes been called the wisdom books. And Jim had up here, when he did, he talked about Proverbs. He talked about uh, even Job being wisdom for pain and suffering. And that's a uh, reference to, I don't know where these pictures just showed up on my computer here. I must have touched something. Hmm. Hmm. Well, anyway. Ah, that's what it was. And the, the Psalms were wisdom for praise and worship. The Proverbs were wisdom for skillful living. Uh, the Ecclesiastes were wisdom for meaning and purpose. And Song of Solomon was wisdom for love and marriage. And uh, I think Jim also taught these others out to the side. The unhappy man, the happy man, the wise man, the worldly man, and the heavenly man. I thought those were good. And then uh, under letter D, I gave you kind of a chapter breakdown of Job. In the first two chapters, we see the attacked. He was attacked by the enemy. And those are some of the disasters of Job. And the, from chapters 3 to 37, he was assailed by his friends. That's, he has dialogues of Job with his friends. And then the last uh, four chapters there, or five, uh, he was answered by God. And that talks about the deliverance of Job. And so God shows up and talks to Job. So I, I think that's a good uh, overview of Job. But now I want you to see one of the places in the New Testament that Job is mentioned. So let's all look at uh, Job or James, James 5.11 in our New Testament. James 5.11. <clears throat> And Pam, would you read that when you get there? James 5.11 Behold, we count them happy, which endure, 
You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and tender mercy, and of tender mercy. Yeah, so have you ever, uh, has anybody ever told you, talked to you about the patience of Job? My great-grandma used to say that. I just, I mean, what I used to, uh, I think the bus let me off there after school. I would stay with my great-grandma, and she she made mention of that. Uh, but but look, I want you I want you to compare that to five eleven. So you've heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord. Uh, so there's an the end has to do with the object that the Lord is pitiful and of tender mercy. So God is of tender mercy. And look at James one. We're right here in the book of James. And this thing of patience. I, I bet none of us would say that I, I'm a very patient person. But here in James one verse three. The Bible says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And uh, be turning to uh, Romans 5 now. I want you to see this. Romans 5. I want you to think about your faith because we just said that uh, the try the trying or trials of our faith it works patience, doesn't it? Does everybody see that? That that's how we get patience is to have our faith tried. Is that our point? Uh, no, no. Uh, well, pa- patience is patience is your blank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That that was my teaching point. Is uh, by expanding on the Book of Job, we will expound our patience, and we'll, we're going to kind of lay open and learn how we can be more patient more patient. Uh, So Romans 5, and uh, somebody read like the first five verses there. Uh, Suzanne, do you have that? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have the peace, we have peace with God throughout our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have assessed by faith, and all grace into this race wherein we stand. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of the God. And not only so, but the glory in the tributions also. Knowing that tributions worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of, the, because of, the love of God is shed abroad in our, in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So, this trials or there that Suzanne read was tribulation, wasn't it? Uh, trials and tribulation. That that's how we get patience. Uh, I mean, Job didn't have control over what was happening, and when we when we have things happen to us that are outside our control, uh, I mean, even even this child in NICU, you know that. 
the mom and dad. It's, it's not anybody's fault. So this this is kind of a, a trial of their faith, and and it's working patience. They they have to they have to wait. They don't know, and uh, and Job didn't know. So it was a trial. But through that, um, and I'll I'll probably tell this story again. But uh, I used to work with a man. And they lost their child to crib death. That's called the SIDS, or mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's a horror. And he he was like a youth leader at their church, so he was a pastor in a mission in a pastoral position of, of ministry. And him and his wife, I mean, they just woke up one morning and their their child was dead, and it's it's horrible. And, and you wonder why. So they they went through this. And uh, you know, within a year later, a friend of theirs lost their child to crib death, and it kind of became evident they they had went through that. They had that experience. They were really able to minister to their friend who was suffering, right? And uh, you know, sometimes if you've been there, done that, you you kind of know, and you can help people through their tribulation. And and the next thing that that develops is hope, and we all need hope, don't we? If you know, I think Pat has the the saying: uh, you can live forty days without food, you can live three days without water, you can live so many minutes without air, but you can't live one second without hope. You you have to have hope. And um, so, anyway, that that's uh, important to all of us to have some hope. And then, uh, what Suzanne read there in verse verse five, and hope maketh not ashamed. It it kind of it kind of enables you to go through the next time. This is a little bit circular, doesn't it? Because uh, I've got a preacher friend of mine. He he says. You're either in a storm now, or you're just coming out of one, or you're going into another one. You know, it, it, it's kind of life is a little bit uh, circular in that way. But hopefully, we do learn from our mistakes, and hopefully, we do grow, and hopefully, we do. You know, when we are trial, we don't have kind of a knee-jerk reaction, and. You know, Job could have cursed God and he could have got mad and he lost all these things. But you know what? It it says he just rent his clothes and he worshiped the Lord and he did not uh, uh, sin with his lips, it says. And so anyway, that that was just a little bit of kind of the introduction to Job. Any thoughts about this or as, as we're talking, any... Anybody want to add to that before we go to the next section about some historical considerations? In my Bible it says he's a type of Israel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to be uh, looking at that. I'm going to kind of do this introduction in two parts uh, this week and next before we get into really the first chapter. But uh, Belinda is saying that he's a type of Israel. And that's true because uh, Israel goes through a tribulation as Job is. And so that's that's a great uh, point there. But uh, under the historical consideration, Job is the 18th book of our Bible. 
It has 42 chapters, 1,070 verses, and 10,102 words. And uh, we believe that Job is the oldest book ever written, that he actually wrote uh, this book before Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. So I think I've taught this in here before, that the Bible is written dispensationally, and I'm going to cover that next week instead of chronologically. So even though it's the 18th book of the Bible, it was written... Uh, earlier than any others and uh, we'll see that in just a minute Uh, we're going to look at some of the verses of where he's found historically Uh, we believe that uh, he lived around 1843 to 1703 and it, it was written during that time period and archaeologists have found in the records of ancient Babylonia the story of a man named Job who suffered greatly. So there's even some writings outside of the Bible that support the Bible. <clears throat> and then on the back of your page, uh, Job was written around the time of the patriarchs. And Job was contemporary with Abraham. That means he lived around the same time as Abraham. So Abraham was actually before Moses. So this... Uh, so be be looking let's see well let, let's just stay here on our handout so our next blank yeah let, let's look at the uh, the Genesis 36 I do want to see this Genesis 36 this is the one I wanted to see I looked this up this morning And somebody read 33 and 34, if they would. And Beulah died, and Jophab, the son of Zariah of Bozirah, reigned instead. And Jophab died. Is that what you want? Yep, yep. Husham of the land of Tamari reigns in his stead. Yeah, so this Job is the Jobab that Belinda just. This is this is our guy. This is who the book of Job was written about. Because look at verse thirty-one, and these are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom. Now we're going to see that Edom is where Uz was at. And uh, Job was a king. And so there's just a little bit of the uh, historic mention of these men. And that, that is Job, is Jobab of Genesis 36. Look with me, I think it's uh, back in Job chapter 19. Look at Job 19, I think it's the one I wanted to see. Uh, let me see here. I'm trying to see if that's where it mentions. Him being a king? 
Yeah, there's a verse that mentions that he has taken my crown from my head. Verse 9. Yeah. Go ahead and read that, Angie. Um, he has stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head. Yeah, so so he, uh, he was a king. He was one of the greatest men of the East. And he was in Edom. And so that... that uh, Genesis 36 is where Job is found historically. And uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep, so he he'll be a type of Christ as well in that in that very way. Belinda, you're right. Now uh, look in uh Job chapter 32 if you will. Flip over a little bit more. We're going to see that uh, you know Job is who this book was written about, but we think that the human author was probably this Elihu, because in jo- in Job thirty two it says second here. I think it mentions his name earlier on. I know, like verse 6, And Elihu, the son of Barashel, the Buzzite, answered and said, I am young and ye are very old, wherefore I was afraid and durst not show you mine opinion. And I want you to just see all the way down through here how he mentions the word I he, he is speaking in in, ver, in uh, first person and even in verse 16 when I had waited for they spake not but stood still and answered no more so Elihu is listening to Job's friends talk to him and when they are done speaking I mean he's he's polite about it and he he lets the older speak first and then so all of chapter 32 there, uh, Elihu is speaking in first person and that leads us to believe that he was the human author that was that wrote the book of Job because he was speaking in first person. So anyway, if it was either Job or him. <clears throat> and then uh, it takes place in the land of Uz. And I want you to turn back to Genesis 10 now. Actually, let's look at Genesis 22 first. I thought this was the better the right order Genesis 22 hopefully uh, Dottie and Marcy and anybody online can find all these with us a little bit but I want us to see this thing about us that Job takes place in the land of us or ooze however you say it uh, 22, 20, and 21. Uh, Emmett, you or, you or Pam? 22, 20, and 21. And it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Behold, Melchiah, she hath also borne children unto thy brother Nahor. Buzz, his firstborn, and Buzz, his brother, and Hamel. The father of Abram, Abram. Yeah. Now I wanted you to see that first. So this is uh, this is Abraham's brother Nahor, 
has these children, Haz and Boaz, right? So now uh, look back at Genesis 10. So this is where the land of Uz gets its name. It's where we're going. So look at Genesis chapter 10. And verse 22 and 23. Yeah. The children of Shem, Elam and Asher and Arphaxad and Lud and Aram. And the children of Aram, Uz and Hul and Gether and Mash. And so do you everybody see that word Uz in verse 23? And so these are uh, the children of Aram. <clears throat> is that is that what uh, wasn't that what was in twenty two? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Abraham's brother was Nahor, and he had Uz his firstborn, Buzz his brother, and Camuel the father of Aram. So that, I guess it was Aram that uh, is mentioned both places. So anyway, uh, this land of us comes from this guy's name. And so Job lived around that time that the land was being named that. And it's in the land of Edom. So anyway, that, that was my point on letter F on your handout. Job takes place in the land of us. It's where Petra's at. Uh, in the New Testament, it's called Edomia or Mount Seir, which means the rock, or Edom, or Esau. These are all kind of synonymous with the same places, uh, even though they're kind of different, different places within this land of Uz or Edom. And so my, my point here, my teaching point, is just that Job's a real person. He took place, he lived uh, historically, he was a man, and he lived uh, there in the land of Uz, and he suffered greatly. And uh, look at that place in Ezekiel. I think we got time to. I, I think this is kind of fascinating. Look at Ezekiel 14. <clears throat> let's see. So, let's see. Ezekiel Daniel. So it's right. Isaiah, Jeremiah. Ezekiel 14. So Job is mentioned in Ezekiel 14. And he's mentioned with two other guys. I think this is for a reason. And who can read verse 14 for us? So 14, 14 of Ezekiel. So these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it. They should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Yeah, so this is kind of a, a condemnation of Israel. And, and God's saying, even if Noah or Daniel or Job were in the nation of Israel, that wouldn't be enough, you know, wouldn't, God wouldn't save it even for their righteousness because Israel was so wicked. I have a note that uh, Noah overcame the world, Job overcame Satan, and Daniel overcame the flesh. That's good, yeah. I don't know if you heard that... Uh, so Angie said that Noah, he overcame the world, didn't he? I mean, him and his uh, sons and their wives, 
they overcame the world literally and uh, what was the other one? Job overcame Satan. Uh, well, let's do that one last. And Daniel overcame the flesh. Yeah, Daniel, remember he, uh, he purposed in his heart that he would not eat the king's meat. And so he, he disciplined himself in such a way he got victory over the flesh because he refused the, the king's dainties. And then Job uh, actually had interaction against the devil, didn't he? Um, no, not not directly, not directly. But uh, the devil persecuted. Yes, yes. It, it's really a good example of that First Peter five eight, where uh, the devil's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and God let him devour him, uh, all that he had. And anyway, these three men give us a good example of how to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. So, anyway, that was a good good point, Angie. Thank you. All right, well, let's go to these devotional considerations is the last part of this. So, devotionally, Job shows how God is in control of Satan. Uh, he, meaning Satan, can only do what God allows him to do. You know, because first he says, you know, don't touch his body. And then the second go around, he said, you can, you can even touch his body. And, and he afflicted him with these great sores. And so letter B says, Job doesn't answer why good people suffer, but it answers how good people should suffer. And uh, at least two ways uh, how p- good people should suffer. Uh, Job maintains or he retains his integrity and he blesses and he doesn't curse and he has humility. Uh, So those are great ways that we should suffer as well. You know, not not lose our integrity, not just blow our testimony when uh, bad things happen. And uh, Job blessed God. He didn't curse him. And he had a certain amount of uh, humility in his suffering. And then how to handle the satanic attack. Uh, he worshipped God. And I don't know if you've ever done that. Or I've tried to do that a time or two. Just when bad things happen, it's just like, well, God, pray, praise you anyway. You know, praise you. You know, thank you, Lord, for this, whatever I'm going through, you know. And he refrained his mouth from sin. And, and then like we read at the first, that we, we can trust God even when we suffer. Yeah, Belinda? The address with the scriptures, they draw near unto God and he will draw near unto you. Yeah, yeah. Draw, draw nigh to God and he will draw. So that that is a good... Uh, that's in James, so... Good point. And I put this verse here, Job 19. You know, there's very... There's some pictures and types in the Old Testament, but this is a direct reference here in Job 19 about uh, Old Testament saints believing in the resurrection. And here, in Job 19, 25, 26, and 27, Job says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. 
And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. And so he he believed in a a literal resurrection. He says the the worms are going to eat this whole body, but in my flesh I'm going to see God. And so he had faith and this is this is something that uh, Jews believe uh, to this day that there's a general election or I'm sorry general resurrection and uh, they they have graves even uh, on Mount Zion right outside the 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 walls of the city uh, all of all of the Mount of Olives is covered with with tombstones. There's, they have to bury them on top of the ground. There's, um, there's, there's a, kind of a formality of the way they do it. And they said it, it's very expensive, but you can be buried on the Mount of Olives today. I, I think it was around forty thousand dollars or something. If, if you had enough money, you could be buried on the Mount of Olives today. But they, they believe in a, in a resurrection. That they're going to get resurrected first? Yeah, that's why they put him there at the eastern gate. Because they believe when the Messiah came, he would come through the eastern gate. So they, they that's where the, uh, there's a little valley, a Kidron Valley between Mount Zion and the Mount of Olives. And, and uh, but there's, there's, there's tombstones everywhere all over that, all over both of those. But the Muslims sealed the gate. Yeah, and but the uh, the Muslims seal up the gate uh, when they had ownership of, of Jerusalem. So yeah, and it's still yeah, it is. Like, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he said uh, that it was a Turkish Muslim that that ruled that. If he couldn't enter in through the eastern gate, then then no other king would, or something like that. So he closed it up. It's kind of a famous thing. So then just in the time we have left, I wanted to talk about Job's integrity. So let's look at Job chapter 1 and verse 1. So we can say we've got into the book a little bit. Job 1, 1. And uh, Suzanne, we're back to you if you would read that. There was a man in the land of Uz who was named Job. And the man was perfect and upright and one, of the, and one that feared God. And... Yeah, it's chewed evil. All right. Well, um, let me have a couple people look up a couple things. Uh, Pam Anderson, you look up the Colossians verse, if you would. Colossians four two. And Emmett, would you look up the Job seven twenty? So, so when when the Bible says he was a perfect, he was this perfect man. Uh, in fact, Emma, why don't you read yours first? Look what Job seven twenty says. I have sinned. What shall I do unto thee, O thou preserver of man? Why hast thou set me as mark against thee, so that I am? 
So, so he says right at the first of that verse, I have sinned. So Job's not perfect in the, in the means that he's sinless, is he? Because he sinned, and he, he says that two or three places. So what does yours say, Pam, the Colossians? 4.12? Yeah. Who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you always, for you in prayers? So now there it says that ye may stand perfect and complete. So that that's the word I had you put in your blank there is the word complete. He he was perfect in the sense that he he uh, was complete and and hopefully we grow in our understanding of, of what that means. So he was perfect in. Uh, and isn't that, uh, you know, kind of this church's uh, mission statement? Uh, I'm trying to think how it goes. We can grow in the Word of God to complete the mission of God and the power of God to the glory of God. Uh, but but that but that verse. Is that uh, we may be fer- perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works, and that that's what none of us are perfect, but we can be thoroughly furnished unto all good work. We can be complete in Him. That's that's what Ephesians says that now ye are complete in Him. So He was perfect in the sense that He He had everything He needed, and He was perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works as well. And this word upright. Uh, that's why I titled it. Uh, the word integrity is 16 times in the Bible, and this Hebrew word is is also translated upright. So he was upright, and it ha- it has to do with uh, being uh, uprightness. Uh, Full, perfect, perfection, simplicity. These are other ways it's interpreted. And it has to do with him being a righteous man. And, uh, you know, God is righteous. And Job was upright. He, he was, uh, he was uh, godly in that way. And uh, anyway, I just wanted us all to kind of focus on these four things that the Bible says about Job. He was perfect. He was upright. And then it says that he feared God. And we, we could talk, you know, for hours about fearing God. But I wanted you to know that uh, there's really two ways we can learn to fear God. And one is uh, we can be taught. Hopefully, you know, hopefully we can teach our children, you know, fire is hot. Don't, don't touch the stove, right? But sometimes children do touch the stove and they do get burned, right? So the other way we learn to fear God is through experience. So the best way to learn the fear of the Lord is to be taught. Hopefully just sitting in here, sitting in, coming to this church, we learn to fear God. And we don't have to experience, you know, through suffering ourselves or through, through experience. And then the last one, uh, this word is chewed. This is kind of one of my... uh, I just like this. And I don't know where this guy found it at, but 
uh, how is it spelled, honey? E S C H. E S C H E W E D. Or if you want, just to shoot. I don't know if I spelled that right. Eschewed means distasteful. You can't see it. I have departed from or avoided. Well, the reason I like that de- definition is because the word is, is chewed like you chew food. You know, if you chew on something you don't like, you find it distasteful. So, it, what? Yeah, spit it out. And he is chewed, so he feared God and he is chewed evil. In other words, he found it distasteful. And so that, that's kind of my teaching point here is do we find evil to be distasteful? That's a good question, isn't it? That's a, I think that's just a good uh, way to end our time today. This word distasteful. And uh, so Job was perfect. He was upright. He feared God and he has chewed evil. He found it to be distasteful. And so he, he didn't go there. And so uh, practice that this week even. When you're tempted this week, you're tempted to do something wrong that we shouldn't think a certain way or do a certain thing. Like, you know, I'm just going to spit that out. Like like Belinda said, that was a good, that was a good word, Belinda. We're going to spit it out. So anyway, uh, we're, we're going to talk a little bit another uh, next week about the rest of our introduction to Job. Uh, these are some things I've learned. Is that interesting to you? Does that sound good? Mm-hmm. Everybody tracking? Yeah. And, uh, learning. Yeah, learning, good. Well, good. Well, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Emma, would you mind closing us in prayer today, brother? Father, we just thank you for this time that we've had to study your word and to learn more about Job. Father, I just thank you for being in this world and this Just lift up all those who have been mentioned for prayer today, Father. I just pray that you be close to them. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.